7 to 11. Over the next three weeks, counting this one and the next two, we're going to be looking at what God has given to us in regards to spiritual gifts. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, He has given us one. And hopefully, as, as we look at the next three weeks, if you have a doubt that He's given you one after these three weeks, and hopefully after the next five minutes, you'll get, hey, He has given me one. But the reason why he's given us one is what's so very important is that he hasn't left us alone when it comes to serving him, loving him, caring for him, and caring for others. But he's equipped us in certain ways as we're bearing that spiritual fruit. He's equipped us in ways to be able to help each other and to help this world to be able to move forward well for the cause of Christ. Let's stand together, shall we? First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Let's honor his word this morning. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So what is a spiritual gift? Um, I'm indebted to Tom Schreiner. He says the spiritual gifts are gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification of the church. I'll read that again. Spiritual gifts are gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification, the building up of the church. And so this morning, as we look at 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, we're going to have a 30,000 foot view of that. Um, the next two weeks, well, next week will be in Romans 12. The week after will be in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to dig in and drill down a little bit deeper, but I think it's good for us to set the table for what God has for us this morning. So if you were in Sunday school, you were given a spiritual gifts survey, or even if you weren't in Sunday school, you may have picked one up. And so we had about 33, 34 that turned them in, and we're starting to see a pattern of uh, how people understand their, their spiritual giftings and such. And I think that's really helpful. Um, when I passed them out a few weeks ago, there was uh, a misunderstanding. I passed them out a few Wednesdays ago, I should say. There, those that came, I passed them out a couple of weeks earlier. And I gave it to them, and I didn't give them instructions. And so what I did was they, they, they did the spiritual gifts test, and they looked at it and said, oh, this is my spiritual gifts test. Great. Right? And so I didn't give instructions. Because what can happen is we can spend so much time just really wanting to know our identity. I mean, some of you, if you've taken uh, like Strengths Finders test, so that's a, a personality test, or Myers Briggs, it's interesting to be able to kind of understand and mine out how we're made and how we're how we're wired. There's something about that, and a lot of those can be very very helpful. And spiritual gift surveys can be helpful as well, but we have to go beyond what many may think is, well, this is my spiritual gift. Great. Do, 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 and kind of go on our merry way. When we look at this passage, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, it's clear that our spiritual gifts are not just for us. It's not just for us to have that identity. I, my spiritual gift is. 
And they're clearly not meant to leverage a superiority over other people. My spiritual gift is this. Oh, yours is that. And then we tend to think, well, I'm better because of this gift. Or you could be feeling inferior. I'm worse because I wish I had that person's gift. Over and over we see this happening. And, what, and I think that's part of what's happening with us is that we have drilled down for us to where it's about us. It's not about anybody else. It's about us. Some of you may have decided not to take the spiritual gifts test because you know, I just don't really want to do that. I already know what I want to do, and thanks a lot. We've got to be careful because there is an account. Excuse me. There it is, dry weather. Accountability and responsibility that comes from recognizing that God has given us something and equipped us with something for the betterment of the church, for the betterment of our community. And really the key verse in this sermon this morning is verse 10. If you'd look there real quick and you see this. As each has received a gift. Now let's take a time out. Who's each? Right. Us. Who's us? Well, the us is, if you go back to 1 Peter 1 verse 1, I mean, you can't go back to any more of the beginning than 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. You just can't do it. It says there, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And these cities are basically cities that are in Asia Minor. So it's not one particular church. Sometimes when Paul is writing to a church, he's writing to a church. Peter now is writing to a group of believers that because of persecution have been scattered. And so this is for everybody. This is not just one particular church with one particular issue that's got to be dealt with in one particular way. This is for everybody. The each is Christians. So if you are a follower of Jesus, God has given you in his proportion, by his grace, a spiritual gift for you to use for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God. He gives it to you to build up the community. God gives you a gift to be able to reach your community and to be able to to dig in that way. So each, as each one of you has received a gift, what do you do? Well, this is not like when, if you've watched the movie, A Christmas Story that runs on TBS 24 hours on Christmas Eve into Christmas morning, and the the little kid gets this bunny suit from his grandma. Now, what's he going to do with that bunny suit, that pink Pepto-Bismol bunny suit after that's over with well what he's going to do is he's going to wrap it up and either throw it in the dumpster or put it up in the closet he's not going to use that anymore that's not the nature of our spiritual gifts by the by the command of the holy spirit through the apostle paul as each has received a gift put it up in the closet ignore it no what does he say i'll wait it's right there use it use it to what? Serve yourself? Build yourself up? Look at my spiritual gift? No, to serve others. We have been saved to serve. We have not been saved to be served. We've been saved to serve as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we look at verses 7 to 11. We're going to unpack a little bit of this. And this is what I want for you this morning. I want you as Christians to be encouraged that you have a part to play in the kingdom of God. Well, I, when I got saved, the only thing I really wanted out of Jesus was to go to heaven. You mean there's more? Yes. Well, I didn't sign up for that. Yes, you did. Because Jesus is Lord. 
And he's left us here to build up his world and build up his church. And I want to encourage you that he's given you something to be able to do with that. But it's also a way for you to realize that I have a use this way, not just this way, just for me. I've got a use this way. And so let's see what God has for us. So why should we use our gifts? He says, use it. Why? What is Peter telling us about using it? Well, number one, it's this. Use your gift because the end is near. Every time I hear a phrase like that, I think of a guy that's standing on the corner with the placard, right? He's walking around with that board over his neck. The end is near. The end is near. And how do we react to people like that? Well, he's crazy. Not maybe everybody, but some have, well, well, he's crazy. Or, yeah, the end is near, but it's not that near, but some of you, because of things that have been happening in our culture that you have not foreseen coming up, that has, has left you fearful and has left you angry, or maybe you, you know, your, your marriage isn't going the way you wanted it to, your kids haven't turned out the way you had, you had always hoped for, grandkids, whatever, the world, your government. You know, you've got all of these different environments that, that the world has right now, and none of them are turning out the way you think that they should have that you find yourself fearful, you find yourself angry. I would say that those are things that are really not befitting a Christian if you're angry because of you. If you're angry seeing God's name being blasphemed, that's one thing. If you're angry because things aren't going your way, that's another thing. And you've got to be able to learn the difference. But the end is near. Now, that's important for us to understand. Because when it's talking about the Gentiles, the, the paragraph that's leading into this, like go to verse 3 of chapter 4. Where it talks about for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, the, the commonality of all of those things is this. If there is a desire or urge that arises in you, you fulfill it. Right? Because it's like, you know... If, it's, it's like we feel like that our feelings are the ones that are dictating. If I feel this way, then I must fulfill that urge, therefore it's right. And what God does in his promises is tell us that the feelings that may arise in you about certain things may not be good for you. You may not be good for you. You may be really bad for you, but God has his good for you. And what they're saying is they're not living as if the end is near. Because what happens when we're talking about the end being near? In Christian economy and in the Christian understanding, when it's talking about the end is near, that means Jesus is coming back to make all things new and make all things right. So when we talk about the end being near, we're not thinking about the guy standing on the corner just wishing everything was over with. We're thinking about the fact that Jesus is going to return and that we're going to have to give an account for everything that we have done. You don't believe me? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that. All of us are going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How many of us? All of us. And to give an account for what we've done here on this earth. And so if that's the case for us, then is that going to change how we live? Yes or no? You would think it would. You would think that it would. Unless you have been taught, well, now that you're going to heaven, you can live however you want and it doesn't matter. But that's not it. If you have truly been saved by Jesus, you are going to want to live as a citizen of heaven here on earth. It's going to change you. You're going to have been transformed. And so you're looking at this. There's one sermon I came across that was preaching about this on, on this verse. Live like there's no tomorrow. Would our lives change if we knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? 
he might come back and give an account very, very quickly. I think that would change how we live. But I think a lot of times it's because if we've lived, especially if we've lived any amount of time, we're thinking, well, he's waited this long. He's probably going to wait a long time before. He might wait a thousand years. So let's just let it be. But I think that would change. If we live as if the end is near, that would change how we talk to each other or talk about each other. You know, there's sometimes people talk about each other behind their backs. Shocker, I know. Would that change, though, if you knew that Christ was coming back, but he's already here with us, among us, by his spirit. It would change how we act. It would change how we think. It would change what we would look at. It would change everything that is about us. We have to make sure that we are living. Because in verse 4 of that chapter, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. You ever been at a job and everybody's doing one thing, but because you're a Christian, you decide not to partake? Some of you may remember um, a gentleman, Sean Bradley. He was a, a guy that used to play in the NBA. Now, he's Mormon. So the analogy breaks down for us there. But, what he, but, the, but this part counts, is that the, the team that he would play on would go to strip clubs all the time. You want to come? Well, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, come on. Everybody else is doing it. No, I don't want to do that. A.C. Green was the same way when he was with the Lakers. Did they make fun of him? Did they sometimes fine him for not being a part of these recreational activities? Sure, they did. And so they were surprised that they were not going to be a part of what they were doing. But what we have to recognize, too, is they're surprised when we refuse to indulge. They're going to be surprised when judgment happens, when they're going to have to stand before the judgment seat. So we live being self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. We live cleanly. We live in purity before God. We live self-controlled, not, not allowing ourselves to go and do whatever we want, whatever we want, because we know that that's not going to be good for us in the end. God's way is going to be what's good for us. The world's going to tell us that we're square and narrow and no fun. Fine. Because some of you may have indulged in things that the world is all about. Has that been good for you? No, no, it's been been pretty terrible. A lot of regret, a lot of shame. But God's way is not going to be that way. And so we live with an understanding of that. Secondly, we use our gifts, you use your gifts because you love each other. So are you saying, Pastor Matt, that if I don't use my gift that I'm not loving? Well, don't listen to me. Hear what the Apostle Peter is saying. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep loving one another earnestly. That's an old word, isn't it? We we don't say that very much. What we say is consistently, constantly. We keep doing this. We keep doing this over and over because it's saying that this love covers a multitude of sins. So if you think about 1 Corinthians Think about 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. It says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is the love that only Christ can give us. 
And I told you about this exercise they used to make us do. You probably had the same thing. That you, re- you replace the word love with your name. And how would that fit? Um, Matt is patient and kind. Are you? Are you patient and kind? Are you ones who don't envy or boast? Are you ones who aren't arrogant or rude? You, you get the idea? So over and over, this rejoicing at wrongdoing, this rejoicing with the, the truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. It's sad because I think for maybe some of us that that line is, the, the threshold's not very high about when, when we look at love in this way. But sometimes we look at our love based upon, well, I'm better than that guy. That's not what he's called us to do and to be. What he's called us to do and to be is to understand the transforming love that Jesus has given to us even now and and to move on with that. So here's a question I would ask you is, um, are you easily offended by somebody else? Does somebody else's lifestyle determine whether you will love them or not? Does somebody else's disagreeing with you affect how much you will love them? Because sometimes we say, well, I love people. Oh, I love people as long as they fill in the blank. And then, and then we re- begin to betray where we really don't love people at all. Really what we do is we love those that are like us. And therefore, we can even drill down even further. We love us. We love me some me. That was what one football player said. I love me some me. And so we can think we're very loving But in reality, we're not loving at all except loving ourselves and how everybody may agree and be how we are supposed to be, how we think they're supposed to be. But the love that's talked about over and over and over stretches out so far that it it forgives. And it forgives injustices that are done to us. It forgives all of these things because it is a forgiveness that has to be in play. Peter, remember, you may remember when Peter was talking about this, hey, Jesus, how how, how often should I forgive somebody? Seven times? And he thought he was being very magnanimous. Seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. And Peter could have come back and said, okay, got it, 490. No, that's not the point. The point is, is that that was completion and, and over and over, continually, continually, continually. And, and I believe, and I, I'm looking at myself as well, because every so often I think I get to a sweet spot. I think I've got, I think I've forgiven most everybody, family, friends, things happened a long time ago, and then something pops up, and it comes back, and it's gross, and I don't like it. Whoa. And so what ends up happening is that we, we, we have to realize, and I think that is what is just swallowing up and deflating our Christian walk is that we think we're better than other people, is that we think that people that disagree with us, how dare they? Who do you think you are when you could be wrong or you could be put in their lives to help them get to where they need to be? All of these things that God puts in our way, he reminds us because how quickly do we forget the cross and what Jesus did? How much love did his sins cover over us? We've got to be really careful. 
Hospitality, talking about the love of those that are outsiders, the love of those that are different than us. Show hospitality with one another without grumbling. It should be said, by the way, that in then, back in the first century, there were no hotels. So Christians, Christians were ones who had to help each other out along the way, especially if the mission was going to take place. And sometimes if someone would stay a day, well, that's fine. Two days. Okay, fine. Three days, four days a week. Somebody come get this guy, right? So you start mumbling and grumbling and he's saying, don't do that. Because how much has Christ had to put up with us? All right. So moving forward with this, here's number three, use your gifts because you are stewards of his grace. This is talking about management and, and overseeing. So the, the graceful gifts, the gracious gifts that we're looking at here, as, as each one of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Because sometimes when we think of stewardship, what do we think of in our church? Money, right? Because we have a stewardship team that is starting to look at the budget. Some of you got your packets. We're about ready to roll on that, right? And they're starting to look at the resources, the monetary resources that we have in order to be able to put them in the right position, not just to keep the infrastructure going, that's part of it, but to see the mission go. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. But stewardship is more than that. It is, it is taking ownership it is, it, is, it is managing what God has given to us, and the stewardship that we have is the grace that God has given us with the gifts that he has imparted to all of us to help build each other up. And when we see that happening, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Edmund Clowney, he says, the steward's office has two doors. On the one hand, stewards are accountable to their master. They're accountable to their master. So think about that. They administer the goods and affairs of another. All they have, they have received. So this, the manager's given you something, you're taking care of it. You're investing it well. You're, you're, you're putting it where it needs to be. On the other hand, they are administrators put in charge of their, of their master's affairs and exercising authority in their master's name. So there's two issues that are here. There's accountability. Now that you know your gift, and to be fair, maybe that's why some of you may not want to know it. But now that you know it, some of you do is now there's an accountability that's there. You can't say you don't have an idea. But there's also now a responsibility. I didn't sign up for that. Again, I say, yes, you did. Because Christ is Lord and you're a part of his church and we're here to, to help each other move forward in that accountability and responsibility. And the two categories that are here one is whoever speaks so there's two types of spiritual gifts there's a speaking gift and a serving gift the speaking gift you see as one who speaks the oracles of god you say well that's not me i'm not a preacher keller helps us out here there's three levels of word ministry that's talked about in the scriptures one is is this level three is preaching in a formal setting level three right here this guy if you are a teacher then you may be ones who are in Level two. Level two is between the informal and the, inf and the formal. It could be personal exhortation. Some of you have that gift where you're exhorting people to go deeper and stronger in their faith. Please use that. We could all use that help. It's all hands on deck when it comes to exhorting one another in the faith. Um, counseling. Some of you are very good at counseling. Many of you have been doing that for a long time. In fact, even though you may have put your shingle away People are probably still coming to you because they found out or they can tell 
Um, and, and you know who I'm talking to. Um, and, and teaching, you know, individuals or groups. You may be getting together in a room like that. Writing, blogging, teaching classes, small groups, mentoring, moderating open discussion forums on the issues of faith. That's level two. Level one is this. All of us who have an understanding of the message of the Bible well enough to explain it and apply it to other Christians and to his neighbors informally and personally. Does that sound like anybody you may know? If it doesn't, look in the mirror. We all, preaching, this right here that I'm doing right now, cannot bear the weight of the, of the word ministry that needs to go out. We need small groups, but even that can't bear the whole weight. We need all of us recognizing that we have a part to play. And especially if you've identified a spiritual gift of, of, of some sort of teaching or evangelism or something along that line, and fear may be keeping you back from exercising that, Please don't let fear keep you from talking to me or talking to another leader in the church to be able to help give you some tools because you may just need to take one step and see, oh, God is there to meet me there. I'll take another one. Oh, I'll say one word. Oh, God has given me everything I need to say. He did promise that, but now I see that promise come to fruition. Let's go. You see? You see what can happen and what God does? Romans twelve three talks about, for by the grace God given me, I say to everyone among you to not think more highly, of, highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned you. So if it's a teaching or a speaking gift or it's a serving gift, what happens? So God gives you the words and the strength to say on your speaking gift. God gives you the strength and the, and the desire on the serving gifts to where it says you're serving by the strength that God supplies. So God supplies the words. God supplies the strength. God's not going to leave you alone. This is the part of the Great Commission I think that a lot of us miss. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, I got that. One identifies followers of Jesus. Good. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Okay, so I got to teach them the Bible and everything that God has commanded. Here we go. What's that last part? Any of you remember it? And behold, or if you have the King James, is Larry in here? We have the King James. Lo, I am with you always. That's not talking about height. Lo, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. He's with you. That's a promise that comes about over and over again, no matter whether you're a king or a pauper or anybody in between. I'll be with you. 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 Doesn't feel like he's with me. Go by the promise, even if, you're, even if your feelings don't feel. Go by the promise, I'll be with you. He's given us everything that we need, and so we move forward in faith, knowing that he's going to supply all that we need to the glory of God. And that's the last one, and quickly on this one. It, it's quick because it's so concise at the last part of verse 11. Use your gifts to the glory of God, not the glory of you. Use your gifts to the glory of God. In order that, you see that at the back half of verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. We were dead in our sins, dear Christian. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm reporting the news by telling you, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. But God can make you alive. 
if you'll repent and trust in him this morning. If you'll repent and trust in what Christ has done upon the cross for you, when he was in agony on the cross, he had you on his mind. Paying for your sin so that you may not have anything separating you from his glory and his good. We were once lost, but now we're found. We were lost, but Jesus, the great seeker, finds us. We were blind. We couldn't see spiritually. We think we can, but now we can see because of Christ giving us new eyes. And he's made us born again, born from above. How wonderful is that? Think of all that he did to rescue us. But some of you have stopped there. Well, I'm going to heaven. Praise God, I'm going to heaven. No, he's left you here. And we all have an assignment, right? We have an assignment that God has given to us, and we have been supplied with these spiritual gifts in order to be able to move forward for what he has called us to do. That's our stewardship. That's our assignment, dear Christian. Now, Tim Keller, as we close, reminds us of this. And the little um, pamphlet that you got about the joy and the warning of spiritual gifts. It's basically a distillation of this sermon. But I want to just share with you what Tim Keller reminds us of. Spiritual gifts are what we do. Spiritual fruit is what we are. Unless you understand the greater importance of grace and gospel character for ministry effectiveness, the discernment and use of spiritual gifts may actually become a liability in your ministry. Eventually, if you don't do something about your lack of spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If you don't do something about your lack of spiritual fruit and instead build your identity on your spiritual gifts and ministry activity, there will be some kind of collapse. You will blow up at someone or lapse into some sin that destroys your credibility. And everyone, including you, will be surprised. But you should not be spiritual gifts without spiritual fruit is like a tire slowly losing air. So I want you to know your spiritual gift. But I also want to make sure that you're pursuing Jesus with everything that you have. These songs that you're singing, that's an act, that can be an activity and bear no spiritual fruit at all. But do you believe what you're singing? Do you, do you trust in what you're reading? Is Christ enough? Is Christ sufficient? Is Christ your all in all? Does the love that you have only extend so far as, as if it's a love for self? Because we can use the word of God as a weapon against someone else. We have to make sure that we're loving one another and serving one another for the cause of Christ. And what he has equipped us with He expects us to use, or we're going to have to give an account for that. There's an accountability, and then there's a responsibility that all of us as Christians have. Those of you that are are not followers of Jesus this morning, I want to say this. Or you're like, well, I I really didn't expect it to be like that. Really? Because every time we join anything, there's expectations. You join any group. Even if you get on a Facebook page, if you've noticed that, if you join a group on a Facebook page, there's questions you've got to answer about how you're going to conduct yourself or you're going to be booted. 
And Jesus has given us ways that he expects us as his creation to respond to his word. And I think you want that. I think you want a savior that's going to actually keep his word. And that you're going to be doing something and being a part of something that has some eternal gravity to it. It's not just for right now. So where are you this morning? So the the spiritual gifts that he has given to us, I want to just end as we begin. The end is near. Do we know when? No. But Jesus told us that the the big event after his resurrection and his ascension is his return. So that time frame in the Bible, what it calls last days, we're in it. And are we closer here than here? I don't know, but I know that we're a long way away from where it began. And we've got to live as if there's some urgency about us. Not to try to make everybody like us, but so that everyone will want to be more and understand more of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for you. So Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that you help us to realize that the end is near. That our conduct, our behavior, in light of all that you've done, in light of who we confess you to be, can affect our prayers. And Father, I just want to take time to thank you for the sound of these beautiful children that are in this room. Thank you, Lord, for bringing them here. And I pray, Father, that as they're here, as they are surrounded by people that love them in Jesus, and that they hear the word that you would take the seed even at a young age and plant it in their heart and mind so that they, when they get older, or even if even this morning, they show that they want to trust in Jesus and all that he's done, that that would be there because you put their word there and you've given them a great place to be able to hear your word. Father, I pray that as we see these spiritual gifts that we also build our spiritual fruit. And as we look, Lord, as you've given us the the fruit of the Spirit, I pray, Father, you would show us areas of that fruit that we need to work on. And by your grace and for your glory, you'll build us up stronger than ever in you. Help us, Lord, to love one another, to serve one another, to care for one another, to take the word of, of Jesus into our communities, into our homes, into our jobs, into our schools, and to use the gifts that you've given us for your glory. Grow us, Lord. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has not received Christ, I pray that your word, your word, not mine, but yours, will have moved in their hearts and minds to bring them to where you would have them to be, clean, restored, repentant of their sins, and trusting Jesus Christ and Christ alone as Lord. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song that I pray is familiar to all of you. I pray, though, that you will sing this as if you've never heard it before. That's a tall task, I know, because I believe we all know Amazing Grace. And if we don't, I hope that, again, all of us will read it and and sing it as if it's the first time that we've heard it. It is a beautiful message about the grace that God has bestowed upon us in such a varied way. But let's respond to his grace and and stand and sing and commit our lives to him.